0: Hi, this is Ken Mary, and you're listening to Focus on Metal, so focus people, focus!
1: Hey, metalheads! Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another week of that, which we refer to as Focus on Metal. So last week, Jay and I were diving into all things music consumption and how everything's related to that. And... Just kind of a lot of soapboxing going on between us and some rabbit holes and all that other good crap that used to happen way back 10 years ago on classic Focus on Metal. Or should I say Focus on Classic Metal because uh, way back at the beginning of the show, the show actually was split into two things. So it was always Focus on Metal, but you had a week of Focus on Extreme Metal with uh, Dario and Mandy, and then the next week would be Jay and I with Focus on Classic Metal. So if you hear him referring back about that stuff, that's what that's all about. But we were always known to go down rabbit holes and have long discussions and all that stuff. And, you know, between being music fans and bandmates and all of that, uh, long history there. So that kind of leads to some, some lengthy discussions between Jay and I. And uh, that is the case again this week as we uh, go into part two of our discussion on music consumption and its overall effect on the music industry and new bands and just all kinds of stuff. If you didn't listen to part one, you probably want to listen to part one so you understand what's going on here. And at the end of part one, we were talking about the fact of vinyl. And in some cases, if you didn't have an auto flip tape player, that tapes, you know, you had to listen to them, you had to be ready to flip them over. And the fact that that level of attention, of course, made you consume the music differently because you had to actively be listening to it. It was more than just background. That's pretty much where we had left off. I cut it off there at an hour. We have almost another hour of discussion this week as well. So with that in mind... I'm going to shut the hell up and finish rolling the rest of the conversation between Jay and I on the music industry and consumption.
0: You just got just the nail on the head. Pay attention. And by the way, when you stood in line for an hour and a half and then I drive an hour to get to a record store and maybe to go to full record stores because what you were looking for wasn't there, when you finally get that. You know, item in your hand that you were looking for, and went home and listened to it. You paid friggin' attention to it because you you hunted for it. it took you forever. Probably cost you six times the amount of you know uh, train tickets and fuel and everything else to get to where you had to go to get it, <laughs> tolls and everything else. And I don't know how many times I came up empty going to stores. You know, and came came home deflated. I couldn't find something. Yeah. And when online came out, I still hated it. I still balked it forever until one day, you know, i forget what I was even looking for. I spent a gazillion dollars, half a day driving around, you know, New Hampshire and Massachusetts trying to find whatever I was looking for. Went home. was on Amazon. I ordered it. It was in the house two days later. And I wasted the entire day, gas mileage, everything. And I was that was my flip when I stopped going to stores, yeah. you know, when stores didn't have the stuff I was looking for anymore.
1: Yeah. And they are again, I mean, some of them are getting better. I think with, the, you know, the definite resurgence in vinyl that yeah, I think stores the are carrying ride. it. But what's weird too, is, you know, we talked about it at the very beginning. I talked about metal fans as being one of the, the genres of music where you can count on metal fans wanting physical product. The other weird one is you have a lot of younger buyers, millennials and stuff that buy albums but not to play them. They're buying the limited vinyl so they can have it (laughs) and like hang it on their wall or something. It's like fucking bizarre. So that so that pushes a trend in vinyl pressing as well. So a lot of vinyl pressing plants are, are like way, way dead, you know, deadlocked on stuff because they're producing stuff that no one will even goddamn play which sucks
0: so I have two albums hanging on my wall right here in front of me my son bought both of them for me because he knew I was a big fan of both of these things and he he said you know dad what are the colorful albums that you really liked when you were growing up blah 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 you know and I was well, a pretty pretty Maids, you know Future mm-hmm. World was one and I gave him a list of a bunch so uh, you want to take a guess what I have hanging have two of them Get, you want to take a stab at what I have hanging up in front of me uh, you're thinking you're never going to guess but, I'm probably never going to guess all right, so all right, one of them's a kiss album. I'll give you that. So we we'll take a stab. What do you think I have in front of me?
1: Rock and roll over.
0: That's the one. Yeah, one I made, one.
1: And and I have, just so you know, I have two albums in frame on my wall. Yeah. One of them is Rock and Roll Over, <laughs> and right, it's because I have three copies of it. So okay. the one that's on the wall was actually Jeff's copy.
0: Oh, okay, cool.
1: And I've got, like, some backstage passes and stuff within that one. But that, yeah, cause, but I've got, like, three copies, including the rare Paul with the teardrop coming out of his eye copy. I actually have one of those.
0: No, I got the, no, mine's a reprint, obviously. Um, by the way, people who don't know, Jeff was the drummer in the band we were in together, why not? Yeah. But um, the, the second one, guess guess, what, the Iron Maiden album. So this is a no-brainer. What do you think it is?
1: Uh, oh, shit.
0: Actually, not a no-brainer. I think of it.
1: There's a lot of good covers there. Probably nope. not somewhere in time because that's like got a lot going on within a frame.
0: Uh, nope, not that one. Is it Power Slave? No, it's not. It's actually Number of the Beast. Okay. But looking back at it, of all, the, of all the albums, I think Killers might have been the better, best one mm-hmm. for, um, for an album cover. But, you know, he knew I was a. He knew Run to the Hills and he knew Number of the Beast, so he was all happy he got it for me, you know. But uh, those other two have hanging up. That's it. Never listen to, never open tags on them and everything. So
1: Actually, now that I think of it, I think I've got four copies of Rock and Roll Over because <laughs> there's a new they did a whole remaster anniversary colored vinyl one that yeah so yeah i've got four too many that's uh that's a lot i've got a fuckload load of vinyl yeah, yeah. I, if i have to move out of here this is gonna suck to move it all so
0: it's yeah, kind of like you know, with, uh, with
1: all the cds you had
0: well again so you and i both all through divorces and i lost you know, half of my physical media during divorce, and the ex never listened to an album for the 21 years we're together. But you know, I had to have half, and that's fine. That's the way that goes. But in the meantime, I literally converted everything to MP3. So I now have half downstairs that I kind of wish I didn't even have, <laughs> just because it's just too much, too much room, you know. And I physically have like 2,000 CDs sitting downstairs. You know, that's way too many for. I remember an iPod that's what, uh, inch and a half by three and a half by I don't know, a quarter inch thick that has everything I own on it within reason, you know. Yeah. So.
1: Well, I you know I like the, you know I've got a fuckload of CDs too, and I, and I like the I like the album art, I like the liner notes, you know, all of that stuff too. So and then some of them, you know, they have they're in I, I've got like all the enhanced Maiden ones with the videos and shit like that mm-hmm. on them, so. Yeah, I'm still, like Richie says, I'm a physical media whore.
0: Yeah, over the years, I think you've turned into more than me. I mean, I was—I had an obsession at one point. Uh, I'd walk into uh, Best Buy or, or um, Circuit City, was actually big for me because they were like a dollar cheaper. And I'd literally walk over 17 CDs at a time, like $300. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was this was a sickness I had back in the day, and I listened to all of it, you know. And it wasn't all metal, obviously. Some was, you know, New Age or jazz or soundtracks or movies or whatever. But know, yeah, the whole hodgepodge. But I literally would buy 17 at a whack or 15 at a whack. I mean, I go to the counter, and the woman's look at me like, you know, I was friggin' crazy, and the ex-wife looked at me like you freaking crazy, and <laughs> I, yeah, I was, you know, I was crazed. Yeah, loved it.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> one of my obsessions. Between that and the and yeah, if. Wait till you see the, how many guitar pedals I have now. You'll be like, what the fuck? Oh, geez.
0: Yeah, you were always big into the gear, too. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It's 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 closing in on 400
0: right now. So. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> hey, you got going to start playing again if you're not, you know?
1: It's like, yeah, I've got all awesome stuff, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's an obsession. Yeah, I've kind of lost that uh, that obsession
0: a long time ago, but um, well, I, mostly because we stopped playing. You know, once I had my son, my priorities changed in life and have and really gotten back to being the old me, you know, doing the things that I used to do prior to him. He's 26 yeah. now, and, you know, obviously some of the things I won't do anymore, like be an ice hockey goalie and play <laughs> sports like I used to do for obvious reasons, but, um, you know, I survived the years of not getting injured. Why risk it now? So I wouldn't do it now, but... Um, you know the stuff like the guitar and photography. That's I like to have that creep back in again. So it'd
1: be fun. Yeah, you know I, I think you know when we talk about going back to you know consumption, I think that a lot of people, I think you know our age, I think people in their forties, probably even some people in their thirties and stuff. There, I think there you're seeing more and more people are having the need to get back to physical media. I think a lot of the polls show that as well. That that people want to get back to that and they see in in the the vinyl, the kind of the the warmness, the mechanical nature of it, all that I think is has triggered something like innately in people's brains, which is great. And and I even see, you know, even some younger people that are just really interested in, you know, in actually having, you know, physical media again and and playing it and collecting it and understanding it and, and stuff like that. So I, th- I think it is cool, and I'm, and I'm hoping that some of that will help to turn around and, and maybe you know some of that money goes back into record company coffers from things that are more than just catalog, and, and maybe they strive to do more investment. You know maybe it's a pipe dream. I don't know whether record yeah, a record companies go back to development or not, but uh, you never know.
0: Debbie, that's a pipe dream. So let me tell you a story of my son. So when he was uh, about maybe 10 back in 2007, he liked songs, you know, like individual songs, stuff I was listening to, especially, you know, heavy metal songs, he, he knew the tracks. So he started wanting to put those on his, uh, whatever he had, I think it was an iPod or whatever that equivalent was back in the day so he, he had something like that i was like no dude you want to put the whole album he's like no 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 i need just like that song Dad. so we had a conversation about why that song was on the album why that song was number four and how that fit in the whole sequence of the entire story and the entire feel of the album and why the album feels the way it does and he didn't grasp the concept right away and then he got into pink floyd and he got into pink floyd i bought the entire box set <laughs> and he listened to every one of those albums from the beginning to the end, and he understood. He got it such into it, the, the the band members and everything, and he was he became a nut job to the point where I ended up telling him, "Dude, you got to get your own music. This music is in the past. You know, you got to you got to get your own stuff. so You can talk to your friends about it and have things coming out in your era, which was like Imagine Dragons and then uh, Sevenfold and things like that, right? So um, things that era." So eventually he did kind of go that direction, too, and that's why he's such a musical nut job now with everything he has and, and listens to. But that concept wasn't in him of listening to an album. So anybody that's out there that doesn't listen to actual albums, I urge you to pick up whatever your favorite, actually not your favorite song, because you'll never unhear that one song taking over the whole album, but pick up an album. And actually listen to it from beginning to end. And hopefully it's an older one that's, you know, 45 minutes or under. And you might experience that music very differently, you know, than just picking a track and having it in a playlist of 400 other songs that you listen to that you jumble up. It's very different. And why they the presentation of albums and tracks and side one, side two is on purpose. And you should listen to it that way. That's my soapbox. I'm getting off
1: it. No, it's very true, though. There is some decade dependence on that as well, because you do have, especially in the 80s, you had a lot of bands where the producer had a lot of say with songs, and it was kind of like, okay, you know, this is, you're definitely putting this on because that is your single. And then, and that's what I care the most about. And maybe there's a follow-up single, probably the ballad. So I care the most about that one (laughs) next. And then everything else... Yeah, I don't really care about that as much. So you kind of have, you do have a, uh, you do have albums where you may have one or two good songs and then the rest of it you're like, great this is like 30 minutes of shit with maybe two good songs or maybe even not even that it's two songs i know in 30 minutes of shit but hopefully you get one that is an album that soup the nuts you mostly like and kind of see how oh yeah there's there's a lot of variation here there's maybe there's even some there's a theme in here i didn't realize things like that so yeah
0: no, I, I agree. I mean, you know, we're very fortunate. I, I consider myself extremely fortunate to grow up when I did. You know, I had the the residue the residual of the '70s still still there. Early '80s was coming in with you know everything was classified as metal, which is a later subgenre out. You know, to hair metal, or whatever else, uh, melodic rock or whatever. But you know, there was it was heavy metal, and then. You know, late 80s into the early 90s, we hit the grunge era. And then after that, I don't know what happened. I really don't. I mean, late 90s, early 2000s, the power metal came out. And after that, I really don't know what happened.
1: Hmm. I mean, there are some bands now that I can say you pick it up and listen to the entire album and you won't be disappointed. So one that comes to mind immediately is Five Finger Death Punch. Um, I mean, okay. every one of their albums, you, you put that on. Um, it's, it's funny. And the reason that one comes to mind is my girlfriend had asked her like, maybe two months ago, she's like, can you bring over some of the five finger? And I'm like, yeah. And of course I bring this giant stack. She's like, it figures you have every goddamn album. I'm like, yeah. And, and so <laughs> her intent was, you know, put it into the Jeep, load it in the hard drive, listen to the album and then go to the next one, then go to the next one. And <laughs> she got to the first one And she is, like, in love with the entire album to the point where she's like, yeah, just bring the other ones back home from now because I don't know how long it's going to be till I actually decide I'm going to be able to listen to something else. She's like, I'm still absorbing every one of these songs in order, one right after the other. And that's what all of their albums are like. You put those on and, you know, beginning to end, you're going to like the entire album. Another one that's a newer band that's like that is Volbeat. Same deal. You're going to get a lot of different variety, but if you if you like you know the sound of Michael Paulson's voice, mm-hmm. they're another one that, that there isn't like there's no filler on the album, so th- that's good ones.
0: So I'm going to actually just actually uh, hit a memory here or something I wanted to touch base on, kind of off topic than off the media, but remember the band Fifth Angel? Yep. yep. Okay. So have you heard there are two newer albums?
1: Um. Yes, and we even okay. had um. I think I think for the first one, we had um, Ken on the show.
0: Okay, okay. Honestly, those two albums, <laughs> a shocker, because you know how hard I am on a new vocalist. Mm-hmm. You know how hard I am when the vocalist leaves a band. And yep. holy shit, the 2018 release, that was ridiculous. I mean, to me, it was... Uh, I, I'm still shocked over how good that was.
1: Yeah, and when and and, uh, those came out, and Richie was like, yeah, and then Fifth Angel, and I said, you know, that was like one of Jay's favorite bands, was Fifth Angel. He yeah. was like, really? I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, "They yeah. was that was huge for him.
0: Yeah, and I was very bummed at first that, you know, Ted Pilot wasn't singing, and I kind of made some noise about it, you know, friends or whatever, and uh, then I heard it. I'm like, yeah, it's not Ted Pilot, but honestly, his voice wouldn't have done this music the justice. I think that was was given then the new album came out even another new singer I'm like ah fuck you know and I listened to like you know this actually not as good as the last one but I mean like you know only 1% less than than the last one so it was fantastic also I was very uh, very thrilled for both of them and and I'm very excited if they have another release to hear it again hear something new you know but I mean it was a band that they thought was dead you know And, and boom and the bands that are dead that put albums out usually the albums suck, and this was not the case. So I was very, uh, very excited.
1: Yep, yeah. and Vic now we to, we I n- we need to call up Vic Hicks and ask him what the hell's going on with his band.
0: If you want to know, I talk to him often, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they are working on some new stuff. Um, may not see the light of day. There's some health issues within the band. Uh-huh. So um, you know, so they're having some issues there. But uh, uh, well, you got the Full Metal Jacket album, right? Yes. What do you think of that?
1: I thought it was good. I wasn't like, uh, you know, uh, like kind of, I didn't relate to it. Let's put it this way. I didn't relate it, relate to it as well as I related to Old Shock Paris.
0: Of course. I understand that completely. It's because Old Shock Paris doesn't exist the way it did, and I'm with you 100%, but I thought it was still a really solid effort, to be yeah. honest. Um, you know, I wasn't disappointed uh, overall. It was very good, but I hear you saying I was missing that, uh that dual guitar kind of just that rawness of the first two albums, especially. But I thought, for being produced, you know, 30 years after the fact, um, it was more modern and it, it didn't. It, how do I say it? It wasn't a letdown. Let's put it that way. I was very excited about it. They are working on some new stuff. I hope hope they can get it out. But who knows? Mm. Yep. So uh, I'll let him know that you you in, you were interested in, in understanding knowing what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm off. I wish Laz Rocket would put something new out that's, you know, worth hearing, too. So... You never know. Another one of those bands. You know, again, Scott, I'm going to say, it, you know, this day and age, you can, re- you can record at home so easily, and it does, it's it wouldn't cost that much. These guys already have the equipment. They already have the guitars and drums and everything else, just investing in the recording gear, which, as you've mentioned, you know, is coming down in price yeah. pretty significantly.
1: And it's, and it's the fire to do it, too. I mean, even, you know, I've got... <laughs> killer software i've got more incredible gear than i had from before and and a lot of it still is like getting the fire to do it because you know i spent so many years of doing it with you know sitting down with jeff he puts a beat Mm -hmm. boom i'm getting a riff we're rolling get the rest of the band together construct it and it's a it's different when you're by yourself and it's at least for me it's a lot harder when i don't have somebody to play off of even though i've got some incredible programs for programming drums and putting it into the best world, you know, studio rooms in the world and all that stuff. It's still, it, it's difficult, especially when you're used to doing it with other people, Yeah, which is kind of like deal. why my output has been, you know, shit. Don't and then, then it's like, is your audience still there and, and stuff like that. And, you know, even, I mean, you saw the, uh, I don't know if you saw any interviews that they did back a few years ago, I can't think of his name now. The the guy who was the lead singer for uh, Shark Island and you know, he talked about kind of Oh yeah, yeah. you know, being ripped off and and kind of just losing a lot of the, you know, why the fuck am I bothering to do this anymore and stuff and you know, he's a guy who was talented and and just kind of just not not really kind of feeling the love anymore. So it it can be difficult.
0: All right. You unpacked a few things, and again, it goes back to what I said earlier, you do it for one of two reasons because you love doing it or you want to make the money? So the people that are jaded that have tried making it for the money and all that kind of stuff, they if they if their hearts not in it to just make music because they love it for themselves, and if no one heard it but them, they should be happy with it, then they shouldn't be recording it. Simple as that, yeah. you know i'll bring I'll pull the guitar out, and I'll sit with you, and I'll run things by you, and I don't care if no one hears about you and I. I don't care if it goes nowhere. I don't care if I never I'll give cost me money to make it. As long as I have something that I've done that I can listen to myself, I am psyched. I don't give a shit if no one hears it, (laughs) you know? I really don't. Never have, to be honest. It's, uh, It's always been about, I've always wanted to just do what I like for me. And if someone else likes it, great, you know. And that's just the way. When you start doing your music for someone else, I think you you you're gonna lose interest real quick, you yeah,
1: know. I mean, that's that's what killed Peter Frampton.
0: Yeah, you know, he used imagine.
1: to oh, he was writing for himself, and then all of a sudden he gets the big hits, and unconsciously he starts to write for the masses. Suddenly he falls out of love of writing songs, and he doesn't write mm-hmm. as good songs anymore. Because and it's like shit. I stopped writing for myself, and he'll you know he'll tell you that
0: the answer. I mean, that's that's just it. Again, this is, you know, if I was to step into a studio, your home studio would be a home studio at this point. That way you're not worrying about $8 million an hour going down the tubes, you know. Well, home when, studio, when Rick's bass
1: like, blows apart on the first song
0: and you, you know, you I mean, the whole day you're paying for... <laughs> You know, quite honestly, I don't remember costing a lot of money to go in the studio back in the day, and we did it. And you know, I don't remember the exact specifics, but it wasn't earth shattering, from what I recall. It was just, it was money, you know. And to, from my perspective, I don't. If, again, for me personally, I rather put a little money of my personal money into stuff to get a better quality product out that lasts forever. So here I am, 30 years later, and I got you know an album that we did together that, obviously, has some flaws, you know. And and I would have liked to have. Uh, personally made that a little bit or tried to make it better i'm not sure if we could have but i would have liked to have tried instead of feeling rushed in the studio yeah you know i felt very rushed and um that's the, the creativity doesn't work well with me being rushed that's just me personally you know so i can't speak for you guys so so that was uh you know again we're we all go in we're experiencing what we experience going in the studio there's yeah, you know, someone's worried about money. Someone's worried about gear. Someone's worried about whatever they're worried about. Who knows? You know, and and it, it wasn't um, we weren't all we weren't firing all the same cylinders, so to speak. Also, you know, because yeah. I know as a band, had we just played as a band. I think we would have performed better. You know, and and the studio, granted, it wouldn't have stopped Rick's bass from blowing up or other flaws and things and ping-ponging and stuff
1: like that that we had to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, Paul's studio really also wasn't set up to do like no. full band in the room either, so we had to kind mm-hmm. of do the multi-track
0: I do remember I mean it wasn't terrible by any means it was it was fun, yeah, I just felt rushed the bottom line is I had one complaint about the whole thing. I don't care that we actually did individual tracks it was I felt rushed, mm. you know that was that was the um I felt like the clock ticking was always in everybody's mind, and that that that's not good when you trying to be creative you know again, this is the whole home experience now. I go to your house bring a few beers, we cook on the grill, whatever we do, you know, we make it a day or a week or whatever it is that we're doing it several sessions and there's no stress other than, you know, sitting down doing it. (laughs) There's no there's no money off anybody's back per hour, eight hundred bucks an hour for a studio or whatever, you know, it's not that's not the problem anymore. Yep. Yep. You know? So I think when you can take your time I think you can be more creative. Unfortunately, probably too creative. You know, uh, you can say you're never done, so to speak. You're always Well, that's, working the,
1: that's the other part. And, and that's kind of the other element now is, you know, when you go back and you look at, I'll use the Beatles, even though it's not metal, but the part of the Beatles and their sound was because of the limitations of recording, that is, you only had X number of tracks, you had to make decisions and then go, yep. This is how that part's going to go. Okay. Blend it with the other one. Move on. And, and as you're recording, everything was a, was a sequence of decision points, and you you decided, you committed, and you moved on. Now with, that's one of the things. And it's it's great that you have a million tracks to work with, but you also have the curse of a million tracks because you essentially don't have to commit. You can always reamp something. You can try something eighteen different ways and select which one you want. So then you start to have the endless stuff. So there's kind of a there's got to be like the middle ground. So like I know that when I was working with Dario on the multi chaos stuff and and I was doing bass tracks for him, that he was shocked that it wasn't parts. It was one bass track beginning to end. And I'm like, no. Um, I that's how I play. I'm we're, I'm making a decision. I listen. I figure out what needed to get played for the bass, and I played it beginning to end one shot. And if you look at everything as I was mixing it for him, most of everybody else had all kinds of different things that were getting comped together and stuff like that. So having a digital area workstation and having thousands of tracks, yeah, you can do all kinds of stuff, but can also lead you to do too much stuff as well. So, you know, it's been getting into more of the – you know, making, making commitments, making decisions and trying to get back to some of the, um, old school stuff that we, you know, cause people will ask like, oh, wow, how does that, why does that sound so good? You know, even why does the, why does the podcast have a certain sound that like sounds really good? And it's like, well, because I've got a whole bunch of outboard analog gear that it runs into first, like a traditional studio. And the only thing that's Digital is, is the interface and the final mix down. So the analog gear makes me have to make decisions hard and fast. I'm I'm mm-hmm. printing to that sound as opposed to adding shit at the end. And, and so, you know, there's different methodologies. But it's, yeah, I just think a lot of times, too, there's just so much available. People kind of get lost. So, you know, I think so- if we got together, it would be more like, well, let's try to go back to how we had to do shit on tape, and and that kind of lends itself to a path that I think makes some cooler stuff.
0: So I'm going to give you a few albums by name that I would like to make an album that sounds like this. One would be Axe Offering Hmm. from 1981. The other one would be Q5, Steal the Light from 1985. And the other one would be Air Race, Shaft of Light. I think that was eighty three or eighty four. It was eighty four. Yeah, I've got the, um, I, I got the. I I got the. You probably have all three of them. All oh, three of those. Are I got just, the
1: promo uh, copy of the Air Race one. Now that I think of it, the, I used to play it on my you on my
0: me? metal show. <laughs> <You> dick, <laughs> um, it's a great album, but uh, you know uh, these are. Well, two of them are heavy metal, really. One's not as metal, but uh, actually they're all hard rock to metal, right? But mm-hmm. that's the kind of just, you know, it's it's just guys playing. They got through the tracks, shorter albums. There's no overprocessing there. It's just straight-up rock and roll. And that's how I believe songs should be on an album. You know, 36, 38 minutes, 10 tracks, three minutes long each, whatever, four minutes, whatever, and just straight-up guys playing without 17,000 overdubs. Yeah that's me personally that's how i'd like to make an album so if you can kind of stick with that mindset you know with the riffing the vocalization just getting the tracks done i think you can make albums
1: yeah no that's very true that's kind of how i look at it is you may add a little bit of of like i've got a really nice guitar synth now you could if you need to put an accent or something you could but it's like okay put a guitar track Maybe you double it so you get a good left right separation, and, you, and then you have the same thing for the other guitar, and, and you kind of create a good stereo feel for everything, but you don't do a million things in there and you keep it simple. And then that way, there you don't have competing frequencies as well. So, you know, when I'm mixing, I don't have to spend, you know, you know a week with like subtractive EQ to get everything to sit
0: right. Yeah, that that's another segment we're gonna do the uh sonics of music these days, right? So yes. keep that one on the back burner. Yep. Um but yeah, see that, that's the whole point, right? So again it's it's how we consume the media. You and I come from a early late, you know, seventies to eighties uh era of music and anybody that's listening to this go pick up on an, any album from the seventies and eighties, rock or metal you know, early, I'm talking like mid-70s to maybe 83 to 85, you know, and they all kind of have that certain vibe about them, that certain sound, and, and that's what we grew up, that's what I grew up loving, I'm yeah. sure you probably very similar, you know, so that's why I compare everything today, even I don't mean to, I don't really mean to, I just compare it to how I grew up in those same bands, you buy a, you buy, a, I don't know, a um, Exodus album from 85, I expect them to sound similar, you know, but they don't, and that's actually good and bad, you know, actually, I shouldn't have picked them, because I like them better now, but, but you know, bands like Testament, for example, I like them better in the 80s and 90s, mm. yeah, I like that, they were ripping more, it was a different sound altogether, now everything's just fat and bombastic, and I like them, just not the same, you know, and uh, that's the best way I could describe it, so... Listeners now go pick up. if you don't familiar with the era, you know, era between late seventies early eighties, go grab albums from that era and listen to them. They're fantastic. That
1: they are absolutely. I think this thing was a good a good topic,
0: and and uh, mm-hmm.
1: hey, we went down some traditional old school focus on metal yeah. rabbit holes, which is fine because that's what we used to friggin' do. So why not yeah, why but, not uh, do it again?
0: Oh, Jay's back! Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> rabbit <with> hole, Jay. <laughs> Well, the thing is, you know, because I don't talk to you often, and I don't get a lot of people that are passionate about music, especially my era of music around me. Yeah. So that's why I go up on a tangent with you. You know, I mean, uh, I don't get to do it often. And this is, what, 10 years pent up at this point. So, <laughs> you know, I got my son to talk to, and he's he's my son. So we'll leave it at that. Very, very great conversations. But, you know, we, we've come from different eras of music.
1: Yeah, so. and it's very similar. You know, Richie comes down, and it's like, yeah he's got like stuff charged up from the week and what he's been thinking about or whatever I mean, now it's kind of been like longer stints, but it's the same thing, and now he gets down and he's got like all the shit he wants to talk about, which is great but mm-hmm. what's cool with with him too is that it's the that you know you and I have a very like american centric viewpoint of it. So he does he just kinda adds the whole like, Oh, you mean mm-hmm. that didn't even happen in Europe or, or yeah, shit like no, that. So which is which is good. But it's it's the same kind of thing though of like, shit, I need to I need to talk about this with somebody and damn it, there's nobody around that I can talk to about it. So and that's yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's the basis for what this show was founded on too.
0: I, I do I do remember that and you know, we did a lot of well actually when we first started, of course we had the two different, you know, styles of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the you know, the the heavier side and then were the classic side and I got to be honest, I wasn't into the music of the heavier side at all. You know, I mean, it just wasn't my thing. And what they talked about, it wasn't, I just wasn't into it. I didn't know it, didn't understand it. It wasn't part of my life. You know, that's why I gravitated towards our side more. And it's not saying it was bad, it wasn't. It just wasn't what I was familiar with. So, yep. there's too much. You can't listen to everything. You can't be into everything, you
1: know? No, you can't. And I mean, there is some stuff like I do listen to, I, I really like Arch Enemy. That would have been, you know, with Dario and Mandy on their side with Extreme Metal. And, you know, not on our side of it, but it's like, yeah, you know, I, I like that. But is there a lot of that stuff that I like? Um, no, there's kind of just very certain bands that within that genre that I like. And I'm, I'm st- yeah, I'm still more into kind of the progression that I went on. So which is what I usually want to consume.
0: I grew up with, you know, my mom and my stepdad listening to 8-tracks in the car, and a lot of them were, you know, Boston, the Eagles, uh, Led Zeppelin, and Black Sabbath. I remember those four very specifically, you know. Uh, so that's kind of what I grew up in, in the car, when it wasn't the radio, because it was almost always radio, because as you know, A track players almost never work correctly. They're always eating tapes, so more often than not, the radio was on, but I just remember but that growing up, so of course that's the avenue I went in my life. You know, my mom was country music, which is exactly why I never liked country in the 70s, in the 80s <laughs> rather, but, but, you know, that being, all that being said, nowadays, it's country's more like rock, and, and they have, they're out there trying to make their money, making their mark with the, the, uh, you know, the songs that, the catchy songs that are, that they're out there. Yeah, I can explain.
1: Uh, yeah, no, they have gotten more rock centric. They're more. They're more riff, more guitar, bass, more than anything else.
0: Right.
1: Um, they're very. Any- they're very produced. What's funny is that, you know, you had a lot of of rock musicians that have moved into Nashville, and of uh, so you kind of have a lot of a mix in the scene now, and a lot more of that influence getting in, and so yeah, I I, I think you, you see that bearing out in kind of what the modern country, at least.
0: You know, one band I don't think we talk about or have talked about much is the band Keel. And mm-hmm. the reason why I thought of them is because you know Ron Keel went off and did some country stuff, among other projects he's done. But yep. yeah, I was very disappointed when he went off and did Ronnie Lee Keel. It wasn't terrible. I wanted another good Keel album. It Has nothing to do with how good or bad his country was. It was just I wanted another Keel album. You know, <laughs> so I because they were a great band. They they were fantastic for a bit, and then they kind of floundered a bit, in my yeah. opinion. But you know, it is what it is. So, so the record companies probably had a lot to do with their demise, I'm sure.
1: Well, yeah, when they shut everybody out. Yep.
0: You know, I mean, it's just, they were, they they get into that whole wall of vocals. They were all that, uh, you know, the um, melodic rock kind of thing. I mean, they were really, the Keel Keel album, 87, was, I love that album. It was, and the Right to Rock, fantastic. You know, uh, I loved that first three or four albums, actually. And then they kind of floundered and they, I don't know, whatever. Stop there with that, but um, <laughs> I make I, I love them, you know, and then they tried to they tried. They tried too hard, I think. Something happened. <laughs> but anyway, him going to country and then Saber Tiger and whoever knows what else he's done over the years, but I kinda lost lost uh, sight of him some years back. But he was one of the crossovers for sure.
1: Yeah, no, he's still out there. Yeah. Still doing stuff, metal cowboy and stuff. So yeah, he's still doing
0: stuff. Not nothing wrong with it, you know. I mean, if you get some touring and making money and stuff, so... But, uh, yeah, that was... uh I mean, the media, I kind of wish... I kind of wish everything was going through more channels, more, you know, channels that were monitored differently. I think we'd have, quote-unquote, better music out there. I hate to say that that way, because it's not how I really mean to say it. I just,
1: yeah, there was... I can't think of which... Might have been Ahmed Erdogan. I can't remember who said it, but... You know, they talked about as much as people complain about labels labels did serve as some modicum of quality control and granted they're not so much that anymore but you know you did have labels that they kind of had their specialties or at least a band that a certain genre would like to get onto a certain label because that label would essentially understand them and stuff right but they did overall at some point serve as some kind of quality control to what was actually getting recorded and released and all that. And you know that's that's not the case anymore. But now we have pretty much with all the ways people can just put stuff out on YouTube and stuff. And there's you're right. going to find great stuff on YouTube and you're going to find what the fuck stuff on YouTube as well.
0: Oh, pe- people are very creative. I, I got to say. I mean, there's so many. The, the creativity out there is amazing you know so many people that can do so many great things it's almost like a, it's too much it's so much and it's at your fingertips at all, at all you know all points in time i can watch youtube all night or even you know buy amazon albums all night long um just so much out there mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing and it's fun but you know again there's <laughs> kind of miss just having a genre pop you know i mean there hasn't been a big push for a certain genre in a long time. You mentioned the record label and not understanding you. How about having Armored Saint on Chrysalis Records back in the day? I mean, that's like the, that's like a big no-no, you know? I mean, they didn't understand that band at all, which is probably one of the reasons why they weren't bigger than they They should, they should have been way bigger. That band should have been way bigger. Yep. yep. Yeah, you know, they just were not on the right label, period. But they were on, you know, a combat records or... or uh, New Renaissance, or I don't know, Metal Blade for certain. Back then, they yeah. might have had more of a chance, you know. Yep. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. They're already, they're already behind. The same thing with uh, Fifth Angel, on with CBS, wasn't it? I mean, you know, give me a break. You know, not a metal, not a metal label. Right.
1: No, I agree.
0: So some of the record labels, they just, they were doomed from the start, no matter what. Well, shouldn't they doom There's we're going to get the, the promotions they needed and the push to, to get the sales, you know, and get, to get out there. Yep. they didn't have the bandmates to go on tour with. I mean, not the uh, but the label mates to go on tour with. You know, I mean, it wasn't there for some of those bands.
1: Yeah, definitely a but lot then, of the it, labels down things like that made See, it, made is, a this difference. Is,
0: this is a piece of media that kids don't get. We talk about media, physical media. I mean, just being on a record label meant success or not. You know, depend on which one you were on. Depends on what. When the record label made you on, also, much money the label had to promote you and put you on tour with these other bands, that was half your success. Yeah. You know, not like that's something you, no one even thinks about when you are listening to an album, why that album was successful or how it became successful, if that was even part of it.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, you just look at Van Halen, you know, when that came out, I mean, a lot of people didn't even know that existed, and it really was getting that, you know, the label was able to get them on the tours, get those people, mm-hmm. you know, get them playing live in front and going, holy shit, people started to buy the album. And that's what snowballed them into the well-deserved success that they had. But it was all about being on the right label at the right time. When they got 10 Templemen, so they had somebody that was going to be there to be their advocate and and push all of the other staff to do what they needed to do to properly market them and all of that. And that makes a huge difference As opposed to, I'm sure that, you know, Saint on Chrysalis, they were probably somebody's pet project, and, you know, whether that person was well-liked or not, made a difference as to whether or not anybody was going to do shit for the band.
0: Right. I mean, luckily they survived, and in my opinion, still one of the better bands out there, but you know, I mean, they obviously didn't have that push at the time they needed it to be in the limelight Mm -hmm. at the right time. I mean, they're not saying their albums weren't good, their albums were great, they just weren't being pushed the right way at the right time yeah that's sad (laughs) what can you do right
1: yeah no can't reverse it but yeah they get no hey the thing is they're still there john bush can still sing his ass off it's you know
0: yeah that's actually amazing too by the way you see a lot of bands that you know they're still out there and kind of some i wish they just stop they really need to i'm not going to say names because that'd be bad but uh John Bush is not one of those guys. he can still sing and he's still rock solid. the whole band behind him it sounds like they're you know 25 years old. you know they just get those songs, crank them up one after the other and they're fantastic. So right. yeah I'm, I'm still a huge fan.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to with uh, they with? Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them with Queensryche.
0: Yeah, they were supposed to come around here uh, last year with Wasp, and I guess Blackie Lawless was uh, injured or hurt or something. Yeah, hurt his
1: back, yeah.
0: Yeah, had to cancel the tour. And I I hit up uh, one of the guys in the band on Facebook, and I was like, you know, why don't don't you guys go headline yourself? He never responded to that. I'm sure there's reasons why they couldn't, but the tour dates are already there. (laughs) Just headline, you know. (laughs) Just take over. Get another band to go with you. But whatever. They didn't do it.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So hopefully that won't get canceled, and, and that'll be good to to go see soon.
0: Were, yeah. were they playing? They're playing out in Worcester, right? They yeah, playing? the Palladium. Yeah, that's right. I saw that on, on the schedule. Yeah, maybe I should go. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things. You know I don't really like going to see live bands anyway. I like, can't you know, with that caliber. It's because I, it's, a, it's just a hassle overall. But, um, you know, I prefer the little smaller quaint nightclubs mm-hmm. around here more, but um, but I'd love that band. I probably should see them.
1: Well, I mean, pl- the Palladium is kind of small venue-esque, so it's, you know, uh, it's probably about the same. Maybe it's a little smaller than the Orpheum.
0: Oh, the Orpheum, God. I actually saw the original Headbangers Ball tour there. <laughs> yeah, and I saw the, the follow-up with, um, who was it? There was uh, Sabotage... Nuclear Assault and oh, I drawing a blank on the last band. It's been a little bit. Anyways, for a test. Uh, was testament. Yeah, yeah. That was those three. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Um, a year after that one, so I was very fortunate to see some good bands there. Yep.
1: Yeah, they're still usually bringing some good some good yeah. acts in there, which
0: is cool. There's another band I wish was still doing stuff. You know, more often than not, is Nuclear Assault. They were pretty good at one point.
1: Yeah, well, I think. I think Lilker kind of involved in a whole bunch of other crap too, so that probably plays into it.
0: Yeah, what was a third world genocide that came out what, ten years ago? Maybe now I like that one a lot. The surprise! You know, late late career album that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I guess it'll be beat up to the whole genre thing. I think
1: we did. We we made uh, I think good work of that. Where we've got a good hour and forty five minutes of of. Beaten up the oh, genre. Jesus.
0: Wow, a little, a little too much. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Sorry for the rabbit holes. <laughs> eh,
1: we've had longer ones, so
0: yeah. I'm sure it's good. It's just two guys talking music. It's
1: it's, it's all good, and uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it, this should be. Uh, it's it's you know I don't know if I mentioned it in the last time we had you on, but you know it's good to have you back.
0: Yeah, good to be back.
1: I actually appreciate and really enjoy talking to a friend again, and uh, I think. Also, for, you know, for listeners, I know you guys have been getting used to kind of, you know, went from weekly to biweekly. It's kind of now it's kind of like whenever. So I think between, you know, between Jay and Richie, that maybe we can get back to some more frequent episodes again, which will be really good. It just means I have to get back to used to mixing on a very regular basis again. But for you guys listening, I think it'll be a it'll be a a good thing overall. And, uh, so you get a lot of, a lot of new, good discussions, some, some viewpoints, some of you people that have, are new and, you know, never really have heard Jay before, you know, you get to hear another viewpoint on the show as well. So that's great. You lose nothing, you gain everything. So I think it's a good deal for everybody.
0: And ready? And in closing for me anyway, um, you know, we talk about about media, media types and how things were so frequent in the past, you know, six months to a year for albums and you just kind of hit the nail on the head here. People are used to hearing An episode one a week, and you've gone every two weeks now or sporadically, you know, maybe getting back to the traditional one a week with people like and enjoy. Maybe, again, the kick in the pants for the show is the same kick in the pants for how music should be made, in my opinion. So that's (laughs) funny. Had to throw that in there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah of course I put another burden on you having to mix the show I'm sorry for that but you get the whole point <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it it's the show it's the artwork it's uh, the yeah. show notes it's the
0: yeah I can take I can alleviate some of that if you want to push it my way
1: but yeah that's good for this week um, again yeah Great to be talking to you. I think that it was a good a good topic and something that we uh yeah, it was good. I'm glad we didn't we didn't wait. We were we kind of got into this one while uh the the passion for it was still was still there. So that's good. And uh, I think through the discussion, Jay kind of dropped some hints of some other upcoming discussions as well. So uh you yeah, if you didn't catch them, go back listen to the whole episode again. You've got another, you know, 2 hours to spare.
0: <laughs> In traffic
1: but there's lots of i think there's lots of good stuff there and uh you know obviously like jay said he's got 10 years of, of pent-up shit that he wants to talk about so okay we'll talk about it
0: yeah rock and roll sounds good to me
1: all right ma'am good talking Have to a you good one. and uh talk to you again soon Bye. Right, bye hey Yep. I told you that was going to be a long one, Metalheads, but there you go. That's the, uh, the wrap on the discussion that Jay and I had all about the current state of the music business and in general, how people consume music, buy music, listen or not listen to music, and just some other rabbit holes about being in bands and other stuff in there as well. Always a good convo with Jay. Happy to have him back co-hosting on occasion with me. And I'm sure that as Jay gets back into the swing of things, that these conversations are going to be a little more focused and direct and on point. There's still going to be rabbit holes. That's just what we do. But it won't be as kind of rambling and broad-based as this one. So next week, if all goes to plan, Uh, I will be presenting to you a a conversation I had with Darren Paltrowitz. He is the author of DLR book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World. He's also the uh, guy who heads up the DLR cast. And I'm sure that during the conversation, find out every other thing that uh, Darren does in the media out there. But uh, it's a great book on David Lee Roth. It came out on January 1st. If you haven't gone and ordered it, then uh, you should head up to, uh, well, of course, Amazon carries it, or I'm sure a lot of other places carry it as well. But again, it's a DLR book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World. And I think reading it, you might even get some new or different impressions about David Lee Roth and uh, even some other, you know, you might have some new notions about Diamond Dave. Uh, Definitely is a book that makes you think about his character and stuff, or you might want to just wait until you hear the conversation that I'm going to have with Darren that, like I said, hopefully I'll bring to you next week and decide there whether you're going to buy the book. Also, speaking of Diamond Dave, another book that is coming out, I think in April, is going to be Van Halen at 50 by our uh, friend and frequent uh, guest, Martin Popoff. Martin has been doing these X-Band at 50 books, and uh, he's done one on ACDC. He's done one on KISS. And unless I missed one, I think the VH1 is going to be his third one. And I don't know, maybe between now and then, maybe I'll be able to uh, contact Martin again, have him back on the show to talk about Van Halen at 50, which uh, I'm a little confused about. Um, just kind of like where is he putting that found of Van Halen because you think at least if I count it from Van Halen 1 this is not Van Halen at 50 but I'm sure Martin as always has an explanation for such things and I'm also sure that knowing Martin he is going to tell you exactly what his logic is behind that within the intro because he tends to do that with every single book that he puts out. But for this week, that's it. Threat no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for myself and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great middle Week. And until we talk to you again next time, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Thank <sighs> you.